Um, Samantha, is it? Oh, what's your name again? Simon. 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 It's been Dingle. so long, Sammy. I know. Well, I feel like it's been so long. <laughs> and I, I mean, think I feel like it's been so long because it's been so long. It has been long, but also it must be said that we do occasionally talk to each other and not record our conversation. So people who think like, oh no, what has happened? Are Sam and Simon fighting? Do they hate each other now? No, <laughs> we are just very Don't lazy. Tell them that. <laughs> Most of our conversations are much stupider than the ones we record. It's mostly just like, oh, jokes about Mario. Um, I don't know. What else do we talk about? Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't count if it's not recorded. <laughs> what do we talk about? I don't even bullshit. know. That's what. A lot of fucking bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Simon, speaking of, bullshit, mm-hmm. speaking of bullshit, um, I learned just the most interesting word recently, which I want to tell Ooh, you about. I love learning new words from Sam. Vocabulary school with Sam. (laughs) Vocab time. So it's the term Veblen goods. I don't know if I'm even saying that right. Have you ever heard of this thing? Veblen goods. I am going to go with no because (laughs) I have the memory of a goldfish. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So what do these things have in common? Moe, diamonds, luxury, Hermes handbags. I have heard this before. There's there's a there's 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 a substantial Wikipedia page as I recall. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, there probably <laughs> written is. by an economist. Oh, yum! I love. But Wikipedia I'm right, pages. yeah. Luxury goods. Yeah. Well, it's not just luxury goods. It, it's a specific. Uh, it's it's a category of goods that violates one of the kind of fundamental models or principles of economics, which is the idea that the more expensive you make something you'll lower the demand for it. So, you know, the wisdom, the, the same idea of why you put a tax on cigarettes so that people consume fewer of them, right? That's how right. most things work. If, if you have more demand than what you do is you raise the price and then the demand will drop. Ah, uh, yes. It's all coming back to me, Sammy. I think this was in a, one of those behavioral <laughs> economics books Oh, yum, where yum, they, yum. Were, they were talking about how, and correct me if I'm wrong, but with Veblen Goods, if that's how you pronounce it, um, a lot of the value has to do with the perception that's created by its price, for example. Exactly. So, yeah. So you in, you you enjoy the wine not because it's exceptional wine, but because you paid an exceptional price for it. Exactly. So it's like this weird, weird class of goods where the more expensive you make it, the more the demand increases. Where that, which is Amazing. just like it shouldn't work like that, but it does for a lot of things like wine. And I think what's interesting is it it doesn't only like trick you into thinking it must be more valuable. It's more fundamental than that. It's like its value comes from the fact that you've had to pay a lot of money for it. Yes. Um, because that's how it works as a signaling tool, which yeah. is just kind of an interesting idea, right? Well, it's one of those things that that so thoroughly needs your intuition in the nads that you, I still catch myself going, no, it's not possible. But <laughs> like we have double blind studies that show that that the idea that one wine is a better quality than another, once you get past a certain point, like, you know, vinegar yeah. is clearly different. But yeah. once you get to like Upsuck. acceptable wine you know like nobody's (laughs) gonna go to prison for selling this then really it is all about like how fancy the label is and how much you paid for it and we know this from double blind studies and even though we know this it's an irrefutable fact i still catch myself going nah i know right (laughs) 
<laughs> but it's this, I, I, it kind of like sent me down this whole spiral of like, what is value? How do you figure out the value of things? How do you figure out if something is worthwhile for you? And yeah. it's kind of like all been laddering back to this thing that like social facts are reality for social creatures. Um, yes. So I, like, I think it sent me down this whole rabbit hole as well, thinking about NFT tokens, which I know we spoke about recently of like, yes. what and art, like fine arts, right? Like the, the thing that makes it valuable is just that it is very expensive. Yes, absolutely. And, and like value is a perception in itself and I'm not about poo-pooing other people's perceptions because I think there's a whole heap of things in my life that are valuable that other people think are bullshit. Like, like including what, the people in my life. <laughs> <You know? laughs> hey, I'm not bullshit. Fuck you. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, I think my children are amazing. People who don't know them are like, meh. <laughs> yeah, those are small, small humans. Actually, that is not at all true. No one can meet your children and not think that they are objectively the best children. You'd think. Um, yeah, you're right. They they are objectively the best children. Um Another favorite example of mine, before we get back to the broader implications of what you're saying, is vodka. And in fact, I think uh, Planet Money had a whole um, podcast episode about this, how you you get these brands like Grey Goose of ridiculously expensive vodka. And not only are they no different from the cheap vodka you can get for a tenth of the price, they literally are the same thing. They're oh, wow. made from the same, like it, apparently you can you can order what's essentially concentrated vodka that gets mixed with, I don't know, water, I guess, to make vodka. <laughs> and literally the same concentrate is used to make like the thousand rand bottle of vodka that's used to make the 16 rand bottle of chip. Damn. Like, there is no difference but the label and what you the price you're paying. That's so interesting. I mean, the, the classic example for me are engagement rings. So you know this thing that how you can make uh, diamonds in a factory now and they're more perfect diamonds than the one you dig out of the ground and yes. you know, fewer people get murdered for this. Um, mm. But and so there, there's two interesting things. So the one thing is obviously the diamond companies – and, and it's no like De Beers is no longer the biggest diamond company in the world. I think most diamonds now come from Russia, which I didn't know. Yeah, and uh, they're synthetic, aren't they? Most well, it, even real diamonds, oh. uh, Russia is the biggest manufacturer now. And but the thing is that the if you do surveys about who are the people who most care about diamonds as a good, you would think women care about them, women desire them, mm. men obviously are the people who mostly buy them. But that is not true. Men think it is much more important than women in surveys. Um, But so for ages, De Beers ran these campaigns like 10 years ago saying like it's if or something like, you know, pushing the natural angle, right? Like it's not real if it doesn't come from the earth, that kind of bullshit. Mm. And recently in the last couple of years, they have backtracked on that. They have quietly started buying uh, facilities to manufacture factory diamonds and they are selling them at the cheapest possible price point to just differentiate on price to further Amazing. like degrade the perceived value of industrial diamonds which does so much damage i mean firstly it's fascinating that de beers basically created the idea of what we think weddings are today and marriage yeah. <laughs> like well, the idea that you de have beers, to have a diamond ring was yeah. pretty much created by their marketing department but also how they used to keep massive stores of diamonds to try and 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 
reinforce this idea that diamonds are scarce because they aren't. Diamonds are no. objectively worthless. They're everywhere. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. There, are, there are so and, many. Yeah, they used to and, stockpile. Uh, yeah, and they, they managed to create this idea that diamonds are exceptionally valuable things and they, they're not. They're just boring rocks. So weddings in general... Cool. Yeah, weddings in general are interesting because weddings are these things that we think of as being these like forever traditions. But yeah, basically invented by De Beers and Queen Victoria is also the source of a whole bunch of what we do in weddings. White wedding yes. gown, that's Queen Victoria. Um, like a veil, Queen Victoria. We all do those yeah. things because Queen Victoria did it and we're like, oh yeah, I just want to be like her. Um, yes. They're really not old traditions, well, but I, yeah. We've also got the entire Church of England just so that somebody could get divorced. Yeah, totally right. And we have and we have Christmas because of Coca-Cola. They basically invented the entire <laughs> holiday. The red and white suit for Santa Claus, Santa Claus as the archetype most kids in the Western world grow up with, sure. all invented by Coca-Cola's marketing department. And yes, um, they used Saint Nick and some, you know, yeah, yeah. built some on old pagan, pagan traditions. Rituals, sure. but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think that, that here's my point, right? So, you know, I think weddings today are probably the most, the, the largest form of conspicuous consumption that upper middle class people still participate in today. Like a lot of conspicuous consumption stuff has become not that fashionable amongst the actually rich. But what's mostly shifted to is conspicuous consumption around in over investing in your children, I think is the one thing. And the other mm -hmm. thing is just these like preposterous weddings. Um, but the thing is, like, those things do really have value to people because yeah. of their social value. Yeah. So saying, it's... like, these things were invented doesn't negate the fact that they are, in mm. fact, really valuable to people because they have social I feel value. like I need to go and read Zen and the Auto Motorcycle Maintenance again because Mr. Persig, as I recall, spent many, many pages on the idea of quality and value, and it was very well put in that don't remember it <laughs> <laughs> i've never but read basically the book, this so you're notion of quality summary. that came from ancient greece now i mean i couldn't possibly um to say i would butcher it would require me to remember any part of it and i don't but um <laughs> but i do remember one takeaway which i'm not sure i'm not sure it came from mr persig um but i find it fascinating that in almost every category of things that we prescribe value to um there's this curious thing where you have a very big difference in the variance of quality between absolute garbage and passable things, you know, like mm -hmm. vinegar to wine. But then once you get into the upper echelons of quality, um, the changes are fractional, mm -hmm. but they impact price in a disproportionate way. So, for example... Mm -hmm. You know, you can buy a 100,000 Rand car or you can buy a 600,000 Rand car. And the difference between a 100,000 Rand car and a 600,000 Rand car is substantial in terms of features and like, mm. you know, the size of the engine and luxury, et cetera, et cetera. But then once you go from like 600,000 Rand to a, a million Rand, yeah, it's kind of tiny, you know, yeah. marginal imp improvements. And then mm. once you go from a million Rand to two, three, four million Rand, you're yeah. now paying exponentially more to get like mm, maybe one or two percent improvements in like the entertainment system and a different design. But other than that, pretty much the same deal. So interesting. 
Yeah, and I think and it's that, the like, same for wine. It's the same for schooling. It's this like yeah. private schools are expensive, but some private schools cost eight times more than others for yeah. the same thing. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and I think like when this ladders back down to personal decision making, it is this thing of like, what is what's the best value for money place for me, like in that spectrum, and it is it's that where for me as an individual does that incremental extra incremental value I could get is that no longer worth the extra money that I would pay um but I think that like so where this has been a personal decision making like fraught thing for me recently is thinking of moving to London because that's like by far the largest expense that I have every month is like where I live Mm. and I think that's true for most people and it has all these knock-on effects of other expenses in your life uh and living in London I do think would increase my quality of life compared to living to here but it will increase my costs so exponentially (laughs) and it's that question of like yeah how how do you decide if that is a worthwhile that's a worthwhile choice it's just yeah and then it comes down to personal values yeah and and like the Mr. Money Mustache thing we've discussed before about how like, you know, living an hour away from work and sitting in the traffic every day, you basically don't just need to be earning 20% more. You need to be earning like <laughs> exponentially <Yeah>. more <laughs> billion to make it make more. any financial sense. But it's not about financial sense, right? Like the idea yeah. of homes, like you don't buy a house because it's a good investment. That's not true almost anywhere in the world anymore. Yeah. Um, it's that intangible value that makes a house mm. a home and mm. gives mm. it. Okay, so so what's something you have spent a lot of money on that you know is nonsense, but nobody can tell you that is not a valuable thing? Uh, art, definitely. I own, I, I buy art and it's a stupid fucking thing to buy, but it, <laughs> it makes me so fucking happy. Um, I mean, I buy a lot of bullshit though. I mean, I'm just looking about around my room. Like I've got all these fucking books that I love. Um, but yeah, art basically, it's probably the thing where there's the biggest gap between like actual usefulness in my life and the amount of the absurd amount of money that I've spent. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting because you're one yeah. of the most careful spenders I know. No, I'm um, miserly. I'm fucking miserly. <laughs> yeah, but like there's no planet upon which Sam would buy a car that costs more than a packet of crisps. Like, no, you yeah. know, like, like I know this about you. I know, and, yeah. and like you're incredibly um, rational when it comes to like clothes and yeah. jewelry. And like yeah. I can't imagine you wasting money on any of those categories. No. But, but yeah, I can totally see you spending a stupid amount on art. Totally. Okay, tell me, tell me what's one of yours. I have I have actually bought one NFT. Um, oh my god, what was it? So there, there's this project <laughs> called Crypto Trunks, right? <laughs> and what Crypto Trunks does is you give them your Ethereum wallet address, and then they look at how old your Ethereum is, and they calculate how much CO two was generated by your single Ethereum wallet. And then they give you a talking to on the website. They're like, oh my god. "Are you proud of yourself? This is how many trees you've killed." And then what they do is they generate a tree. It's like 8-bit art. It's big enough so that the entire like, you know, hash of the pixelated image can fit into the blockchain. They generate a tree and they're like, hope you're proud of yourself. Here's your stupid tree that you get for free. But then they have these things called Genesis trunks that were designed by an artist. And there's, I think there's only 1,000 or 1,500 Genesis trunks. And you can generate a Genesis trunk and then you can choose to pay for it if you want to. And I was like, Fuck it. 
I like this. That's amazing. <laughs> and I'm going to print it out and put it on my wall, and I own that motherfucker. That's and I amazing. bought my stupid crypto drunk. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. I hope that you please share a picture of your picture when this episode goes out. That's I'll wonderful. make it the cover of this episode because Yay. guess what, motherfucker? I own it. <laughs> do what the fuck you like that is so delightful simon um i realized the other day speaking about like absolutely absurd things that i've spent money on that i think i still own some crypto kitties do you remember when that was yes i remember you and danielle in our office (laughs) going crazy over crypto kitties Oh, man. I mean, you want to talk about things I've spent stupid bullshit money on. It's my actual cat. That's probably the biggest like mismatch of value, actually. Oh, my like stupid Pits. garbage tabby cat that I got for free from a shelter in Kailicha yeah. and have then spent just an absurd amount of money on vet bulls for. You know what I once what exactly? Yeah, it's just a garbage cat. But I told you I once like after, so this cat <laughs> fell out a six story window, got multiple fractures, has had multiple surgeries. And I once after getting a particularly eye-watering vet surgery bill, found this website that sells exotic animals and found out that I could, for the same amount of money I'd spent, rather have bought a literal tiger cub. That's what I could have had instead of my bullshit, instead of fixing my bullshit tabby cat. But he's and he also doesn't even like you. He doesn't even like me, really. <laughs> but he's not even grateful. I, he's not that into me. I know. We just have like one of those relationships. He's just a bit of a fuck boy. You know, he's like around when he wants some food and then he just fucks. I know. He's, he's a nightmare. Uh, anyway. I admit Digby. He's an, he's an asshole. I know. I, and I would kill for him. I would literally kill for him. <laughs> <laughs> I guess tech is another thing that I get suckered into. Um, you said tech as in technology, not tech yeah, technology. As in the other thing that really sucks you in. I've, I'm, I'm a lot better now, but I think I used to be very bad at wanting to get the latest phone, you know, as it came out and and being enamored by speeds and feeds. Um, mm. whereas, whereas now I'm still using my same stupid laptop that we bought in London like five years ago, which is woefully mm. underpowered and runs just about nothing. Yeah, <laughs> your calculator. <laughs> and yet I'm like stubbornly committed to using it until it stops working, which will probably be somewhere around 2140 at this rate. I, I, but, I do feel like uh, phones especially like hit an inflection point a few years ago where the the new features were not worth it anymore. Like oh, yeah. there was no, no purpose in upgrading apart yeah. from the fact that the battery started, the battery life started suffering. Yeah, and as a thing that gets produced in the world, it it is also one of the most singularly destructive things on the planet, barring the iPhone, because I must say, uh, we'll give Apple kudos for being the only company that understands its supply chain for these things. Mm. But um, in general, like if you wanna if you wanna hurt our planet, a smartphone is a is a pretty surefire way to do that. (laughs) Coltane mines, right? That's the big problem. A lot of yeah, a lot of rare earth minerals mined in Africa. Um, a lot of child labor in the supply chain. Um, yeah. I went down a rabbit hole a while ago um, with a uh, NGO I found that is tackling this problem of helping mm-hmm. companies to understand and clean up their supply chains, and how incredibly difficult a problem it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was Intel went on a whole journey a few years ago to try and understand their supply chain and found out that it was actually impossible. Just mm. for something as, as simple as a silicon microprocessor, 
it was mm. actually impossible for them to trace every step in the supply chain, which mm. is mm. bonkers to think about. There's that book, um, I think it's called How to Make a Pencil. Have you heard of this? Yeah. yeah about yeah, this yeah. guy who, who tries to make a pencil on his own without any help mm. and realizes it's impossible. Just it's something as simple as a pencil. Like, yeah. You know, everything, everything is derivative. Everything requires lots of people and processes that you know nothing about. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, we're, we're on the, a tangent, I guess. Not to not to uh, spoil the good place, but it's the problem that the good place raises about how impossible it is to know to to make ethical decisions in the contemporary world because every single decision you make is so complex, and you know it has these impacts that you can't even be aware of. So, yeah. you know, how like every single purchase you make creates damage. So, yes. you know, no ethical consumption of the capitalism. Yeah, well, exactly. And then it's a question of whether or not it's worth it. But I want to circle back to something you said earlier, which I think was important around social validation and how we allow our minds to be made up about mm. value, but also things like vaccines. Yeah. <laughs> By yes. other people, because I think yeah. that's that's such a big part of the narrative right now is it's been mm -hmm. frightening to me and also um, disheartening because I think, you know, in the early days of the Internet um, and open source software and all of the things that I was very passionate about, like when I was a kid, mm. uh, basically, um, we had this idea that like more knowledge would mean more rational thinking, more critical thinking, that access to information would mean that people would become more educated about decision-making, would learn the difference between correlation and causation, would, mm -hmm. you know, learn other people's worldviews and appreciate them more. And it's just crazy how wrong we were <laughs> yeah. if you look at what the internet's become and how it's created these filter bubbles, how we've allowed agendas at companies like Facebook to take over our decision-making um, how easily mm. people are misled online and how yeah. dangerous the internet is if you don't understand critical thinking processes mm. and you are uh, wrong about what you think science is, for example, and you think science is an ideology and not a process. And then, mm. you know, you start using junk science to validate really terrible ideas about how vaccines are bad for people, for example, or the earth is flat or, mm. and, and how a lot of horrible things that we had gotten rid of, like, the idea that the world is flat are now coming back and otherwise smart people living in the year of our Lord 2021 are believing that, you know, vaccines are bad for you and that it's possible to put a chip into a syringe and inject it into somebody's arm and that the world is flat and yeah, just yeah, like yeah. horrible, terrible, stupid ideas and actual viruses coming back like measles, you know, that we had yeah. conquered and gotten Small rid of pox. because some fucktard in Europe has managed to convince people that you shouldn't get injected against these things. Well, yeah, I mean, I was I was telling you about this in a, in a, one of our non-recorded conversations, which I shouldn't admit to, but uh, there's this <laughs> excellent, excellent video by H. Bomber Guy, and it's a few years old now. It's like pre-COVID, but I've revisited it recently. It's two hours long. It's absurdly long, but it's fantastic, where he goes into the history of the anti-vax movement, and he actually shows you what like video clips from news reports and documentaries made in oh, the amazing. 90s and actually tracks it back down to the like two or three individual fucktards scam artists basically who started the vaccines cause autism narrative for yeah. entire like entirely for personal gain and the impact that that continues to have on the world and deaths you know 
20 yeah. years later. It's, it's incredible to actually go and, and mm. check, it, check it again now. Apparently, there was a, a very big anti-vaccine movement in the smallpox pandemic as well. Interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, Look, and, and again, the moment we started using science for things, like we almost immediately gave birth to the idea of pseudoscience mm. and junk science and thinking that you're being scientific about something that you're absolutely just not. Well, there's always been uh, counter movements, right? Like in the Enlightenment, there were like weird religious cults that that sprung up in response. Like that's always been, I think, a part of the story. So I think for me, like, and coming all the way back to, back around to these Veblen, this idea of Veblen goods, you know, yeah, I think that I definitely am guilty of being dismissive of things that only have social value. I'm like you know what, like, just be stronger minded than that. Like, why waste all of this money on something that isn't actually valuable? It's just valuable yeah. because you, you've just been trained to think it is. But I think that, like, there's a deeper thing here, which is that what humans value more than anything generally is being part of a community and our social bonds. Yeah. And I think what we you see around, like, vaccine hesitancy and stuff like that is it's not people buying into beliefs because they've arrived there rationally, typically. It's people buying yeah. into beliefs because that helps them be part of a community. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, we, we've discussed before how we're living in a time where there's an epidemic of loneliness and a lack of community bonds in people's lives. And... Mm. I think that fundamentally, like, that's the problem, you know? So why be dismissive of anything that helps people feel like they can belong? <laughs> that's Absolutely. the problem that we need to help solve. Yeah. Because if, we, if, we, if we're going to go far enough down the rabbit hole, it's all fucking meaningless, you know? Yeah, totally. It's like, you know, it's very easy for me to poo-poo people who think that grown men chasing a ball around on a field are a valuable use of time and that they should be emotionally <laughs> invested in this undertaking. But like, I like board games. So who the fuck am I to judge? You know, equally ridiculous. <laughs> I have watched. I've sat in a cinema and watched people play Dota. You know, on a big screen. How is that any exactly. different? Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> turns out, so so turns out, a that you know, if you're if you're looking at the bigger picture, everything's fucking meaningless. So you know, pick your meaning. But also that you know, I, I guess fundamentally, I have this idea that the idea of 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 first do no harm is mm. kind of the proto-principle for everything else in my life. It's like, mm. this should be the way you judge anything. Is is this person harming someone else? And if not, shut the fuck up. Like, mm. and let them do their thing, right? Mm. And if it's, if it's themselves that they're harming, like, that's a whole different discussion. But I think something that, that you've made me think about a lot is um, the idea that it can be very difficult to tell whether or not something you're doing is doing harm, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so for example, like you don't think you're hurting anybody when you buy a smartphone. Like it's there on the shelf. It's not illegal. I'm buying a smartphone. Like, yeah. But if you spend enough time looking at where that thing came from, turns out you not you directly, but the process that brought this thing onto the shelf has done a lot of harm potentially, depending yeah. which yeah, cell yeah. phone you're buying. Um, and and I guess I, I'm still figuring out what to do with that idea because. I think you're exceptional at thinking very deeply about what you do and why you do it and where harm is potentially being done. 
And one of my favorite examples is in the investment space, right? Like you're not just going to buy a fund because you want to know what companies are in that fund. And and if some of those companies don't match with your ethics, then they're not getting your fucking money, which is right. Yeah, which is why I buy hat hat tip. uh, If you live in South Africa, Satrix has an excellent ethical fund called the ESG Enhanced Fund. Sorry, yes. Yeah, it's a fantastic idea. I wonder where it came from. Anyway, um, (laughs) my point is... I had a point. My point is, though, that you can drive yourself crazy in this undertaking as well, thinking about what things mean and where harm is being done. Because as you said earlier, it turns out everything consumes resources to some degree. Yeah. Like everything takes its toll on our environment and our personal lives and whatever else. Um, and then it becomes that question of, is it worth it? And also, you can understand why some people totally. end up being monks and hiding away in the mountain and not consuming well, anything. Yeah, I mean, I was about to say, like, it, it, had, it like I think this tendency of mine to overthink things has also ultimately just made me an incredibly like <laughs> anxious and ineffective person. Like, <laughs> I just way overthink absolutely everything. Um, it's yeah. not good for me, and I don't think it's a, a reasonable model for like how ethics needs to work in the world. Like, and I think, you know, I really just, the older I get, the more of like a radical communist I become. And I'm just like, (laughs) I just think you can't like, you can't push any of this level of ethical decision-making down to the individual. And like communist isn't quite true. Like, I think I'm like a democratic socialist, but like, um, (laughs) you know, like I I think that we just need to be more thoughtful about how we build robust systems Mm. that, you know, and, and that like, function properly and have representation and are yeah. not corrupt and i don't know how the fuck to do that i just you know that's what well, i think it would be nice because humans can't make ethical decisions and vacuums as individuals we just yeah uh, maybe there's something to be said for selective ignorance like i look at i look at the usa in the 50s and yeah by all accounts like atablus right post-war yeah. like i mean not that the USA has ever been post-war. There's always if a war you were going on white, somewhere. If you but, were a white man. <laughs> well, exactly. But yeah, but yeah, he, has yeah. my, he has my point, right? Is, yeah. is a lot of people found the USA in the 50s to be very close to heaven. Quite yeah. a good approximation thereof. Because, as you yeah. said, they happen to fall into a particular demographic. But also because ignorance is bliss. They had totally. no fucking clue what was happening in the rest <laughs> of the world. And they did not care. <laughs> Absolutely. And, uh, but I suppose um, another way to stay sane is to think about unforeseen outcomes mm. um, because we're not always right about things being a terrible idea. Um, and we're not mm. always right about, um, you know, the course we're on being calamitous. Yeah. Um, and, and sometimes, again, counterintuitively because almost everything is and paradoxically because absolutely everything is, um, we'll think we're doing something that's creating a lot of harm and actually turns out it was the best thing we could have been doing at the time or this natural disaster, which we thought would be potentially world ending um, paved the way for the fact that we are in the first place because it would be dinosaurs all the way down if that meteor didn't hit. (laughs) Lame. Dinosaurs, they suck. Kids are all wrong. They're actually not cool. They were just these furry. <laughs> imagine giant chickens everywhere. They're just yeah, like stupid as fuck. Yeah, you think your cat's an asshole. At least it yeah. has like no, some like degree dinosaurs. of brain power. Yeah, totally. And I, like, I think fundamentally, we just all have to try. You know, like, and and we all get to try. And that's the kind of joy of the meaninglessness of the human experience is that we're all here and yeah. we're conscious and we have a chance to do work in our lives and we have a whole yeah. lifetime to do some kind of work in. And we can just try, try. We can try and engage with the world as it is. And we can, we can, what we a gift. can drink the hopium. We can, <laughs> dude. Have you watched Ted Lasso? 
Oh, it's TV. so it's the most wholesome television it's the show. The most wholesome fucking thing in the universe. Have you seen? Apparently, season, there's it's, a season two. Have you seen it yet? Yes, I've. Just, well, it's they're rolling it out episode by episode. So I've watched oh. the first episode of season. Oh two, god, yeah. no, no, I have to wait until it's all out. I can't. Yeah, yeah. Gotta say, it did feel a little bit forced, like um, like so many season twos of ridiculously successful TV shows do. Right. But but halfway through, I was back into it. It's like oh, Ted is the man. He's what we need right now. <laughs> Ted Lasso to the rescue. <laughs> Ted is all that I can cope with in my life. Um, what other delightful things have you discovered recently, Simon Dingle? Ah, good question. I've been so like caught up in the work stuff that uh, they're all work related and boring. Like I've been, I've been really enjoying Google Keep, but I'm not gonna, you know, bore you with why. <laughs> I'd like taking no, notes. No, bore me, bore me with why. Why Google Keep? I think it's because it's as simple as my mind. You know, mm. like. Evernote and Notion and all of these things give me anxiety because I know I'm using like 0.2% of what they can do. Yeah. Um, and that I should be doing all this other stuff with them like my smart yeah. friends are, like you are. Um, no, dude. Yeah. I, I have I've abandoned all of these things. I've gone. I only really? use Bear now for the same Dang reason. Yeah. It just, it's so simple. Notion was freaking me out as well. I yeah. was tying myself in knots. I'm back on Bear. There's something about being able to just throw things at a system that's incredibly good at search, which is, mm. the you know, that's Google superpower. And so, like, mm. I love Google Photos because I could take 15 years of photos that I hadn't edited, hadn't deleted the garbage, hadn't, like, done any, you know, thing productive with, yeah. throw it all at Google Photos, and it fixed everything and made it searchable. So I can go, you know, find a picture of a child in Johannesburg in 2005 and boop, <laughs> there's the photo I'm looking for. Amazing. You know? Amazing. And now my notes are the same in Google Keep. Like I can be as messy as I want in my note taking and archive them and delete them and break them in half. And if I if I need something, I know I'm going to be able to search for, for it and find it. Same reason awesome. I have all of my emails since 2005 in Gmail. <laughs> like the yeah. moment Gmail was invented and I started using it, like I haven't put email anywhere else and I've never deleted a single email. Um, and it doesn't matter. Like my email... My email as an as an artifact is like pure garbage, like ninety nine point nine percent garbage, and yet it works for me, and I can find anything I want from the last like fifteen years. <laughs> I really think it's the model, um, and I, you know, it's really not that expensive to just occasionally buy an extra terabyte of storage space from Google. It, it's well, like what? It's like twenty rand a month or something stupid. What a it's time so to be it. alive! And you only wipe out half a rainforest every time you push that button. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, we are trash. We are, we trash, are trash. Don't give me another thing to fret about. My goodness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I've, oh, did I tell you I finally bought a copy of um, Entangled Life? I haven't started it yet. No. Oh, I'm so excited you get to read it. There have been such good mushrooms. Uh, I don't know if it, it, there are mushroom seasons in the UK. I don't know how mushrooms work, but there have been so many mushrooms <laughs> out on my little walks recently. Nobody it's knows how so mushrooms good. work. No, they're literally magic. Even that's what this book will tell you. <laughs> mushrooms are literally magic. We don't know shit about mushrooms. They're so much weirder than you think you, they are. Well, Sometimes you know. Sometimes just knowing uh, what they do is enough. <laughs> 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 yeah but have you found what are what are some amazing things you found and loved of late um yeah well okay one sort of seriously one is i have recently deleted all of my twitter history uh which is very liberating Ooh, and we need to talk about that yeah but i think maybe that's a whole that's a whole episode a whole conversation well it can be both 
can be both. So, so what what spurred this decision? Was it like a? So, uh, I mean, because I'm working on some TV shows at the moment, and I have been working mm. in the last couple of years. I've worked with some other writers who are some of the people who were harassed and trolled online around yeah. Gamergate, for example. Um, you know, I, I had this kind of low level residual fear that some of those trolls would, you know, go hunting through my history. So I was like, oh, you know what, let me just go back and just check how clean my Twitter history is. I, like mm. you, have been on Twitter for an extremely long time. I, when I got on Twitter, I was a tiny child. I have many, many years of, of, mm. of tweets. So I was like, so I spent like half an hour back in the deep, 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 deep trenches of my Twitter. And I was just deleting anything that like now express views that I would no longer express because I've evolved as I yeah. do. And at some point I was just like, why, why should this archive of this person that doesn't exist anymore still exist on the internet? And why should yeah. I therefore remain accountable to things that that person said 10 years ago, 15 years ago? Absolutely. People I actually change, just don't man. want that pressure. And I was like, mm. actually, I think that social media should just be ephemeral. So I found this excellent tool. I dug around, there's a lot of free tools, but the free tools are usually not really free. They're sort of freemium mm -hmm. and some of them looked a bit dodgy, but I eventually found one that is open source, entirely free and very good called semi-femoral. And you can set up these automatic rules that just like automatically delete any tweet that's longer than 30 days old or however old you want. You can set up nice. filters that say exclude any tweets that have more than like 100 retweets or whatever. So you can keep your best of if you want. Um, Amazing. But just this really good tool. And what I like about them as well is they they specifically advertise themselves as an anti-fascist uh, service. And they're like, if you, we actually won't, if you uh, follow accounts of prominent neo-Nazis or racists or transphobes, whatever, you actually can't use the service. We'll just block you. Amazing. Um, which is cool. Uh, but yeah, if like me, I mean, it was, I really just wanted to per delete all social media. I'm, I'm mostly weaned off, like I barely use them, but I decided I still wanted to keep my Twitter account open because it's easier for people to tag me. And I do want the visibility of if people are talking about me, it's kind of better to know, I think, um, as mm. far as possible. Slightly yeah. paranoid reading. Um, yeah, so which is why I didn't just entirely delete my account. Anyway, but if you, like me, are, are ready to like half step off semi-femoral, I think is a good middle ground cool yeah i mean yeah. i i fucking love twitter and i think it's one of the most valuable things i use on a on a daily basis i, I get all of my news from it um and i th i think yeah talk about like quality and perception but but um i think i was listening to an interview with jack dorsey once who obviously is the ceo of of twitter and he said something that resonated with me he said we don't think of networks like facebook as competitors because those are social networks and mm -hmm. we don't think Twitter's a social network. We think it's an ideas network. Mm -hmm. And I was like, fuck yeah, that's exactly what it is to me. Like, I don't see people of, you know, pictures of people having their best lives on fucking Twitter and, you know, mm -hmm. posting their new shoes. I see ideas and I see news and I get challenged on things. And, and I think that's why I like it. But I do also, you know, occasionally come across one of my tweets from 10 years ago that somebody stretched up and I cringe because I'm like, I'm not that guy anymore. You know, that yeah. feeling that you... 
Like, uh, it's just like I, I've changed my mind about stuff. And, and I was a bit of a fucking idiot on some things. I think things. we all and, were, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so why keep that shit around? But but then I also, I also kind of, um, it's like that old photo of yourself that you really hate from like, you know, whenever ago, but you kind of still like being able to go back there and go, huh. Like I, I was reading an old tweet of mine the other day. I can't remember how I came across it. And yeah. I was talking about a TV show that I watched in like 2008. Yeah. I cannot remember anything about the show to <laughs> the degree that I had, didn't even know it existed. I had to go and Google yeah. it to see like what it was about. I'd forgotten the name. Like I was just like, what? Who is this person? Like, uh, here I am talking about how this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. And now so I can literally not remember a single thing about it That's or that so it existed. So, uh, so you, I did download my Twitter archive before I deleted it. And you can oh, do that, right? Oh, smart. And, yeah, yeah. and I, for me, it's a little bit like keeping your diaries, right? So I have kept a diary every day of my life, basically, since I was about nine years old. And I still have them. And I, they're incredibly valuable to me. They're probably the first thing I would grab in the fire after my cat, after my garbage asshole cat. Um, but I wouldn't put that shit on the internet. That's the difference. Like, right, you know, it's right. very funny and interesting and amusing for me to go and read like the shit that 15 year old Sam was fretting over. But, yeah. I, you know, the internet is also not, and social media are not, they're quite paranoid yeah, and unforgiving places. Um, they mm. do not give you charitable readings of ways that you've evolved and changed. And some of the shit that I used to believe and say, I now find problematic and I do not want to, I would not say those things now. And by keeping them up in a, where they are still published, you know, that feels like I still am backing those things and I, and I don't want to. Yeah. So, and I, I also I, don't want to I don't have the them. old, I don't have the old diaries or like I've, I just, Throw everything the Stop fuck Twitter. away. Um, I've just all I've got is my garbage tweets. That's it, and so tons Sam of photographs Simon. and a fuck ton of email. <laughs> <laughs> you want to know what kind of spam you were getting fifteen years ago? <laughs> Simon's your guy. Yeah, all over that. I, am I in your world? Did you put down that I'm the person who has to go and clear out your email inbox after you die? Absolutely. Wait, Great. where's the first email I ever got from you? From? from. Oh my god! What a good question. From Sam Beckwessinger. Oh, uh, you know what it is? I think what? it's going to involve you trying to buy a table for the ZA Tech Show in like 2007. <laughs> Were you born then? Uh, no. no, I was born three days ago, according to my Twitter. <laughs> well, you are the youngest person I know that I didn't make. Uh, so I, mighty Sam, I have a lot of email from you, dude. Jesus, I know. Um, yeah, okay, I deleted have to all put my a full emails in, a few yeah. years ago. Custom range. Uh, <laughs> I have an email from you. Be my friend on Goodreads from 2010. <laughs> that sounds like something I'd do. Yes. Okay. I can go back to 2013. Oh, this was trying to arrange a hangout with Aki Anastasia and Don Packett. Cute. Checks out. <laughs> Checks out. Wow. Oh, this uh, is funny. Search. Dude, there's just there's too much to wait through here. Oh, wait. Here oh, we no. go. No, this what do you can't got? be right because this is from 2011. I'm no longer than that. No, I, I mean, have we Stephen have we been Ambrose. friends for longer than Gmail? Have we been friends for longer than we've been on Gmail? <laughs> Possibly. Where oh, is Sam's something man about a website? <laughs> oh, this is Hola, funny. Mr. Dingle. Definitely count me in. Oh, that was when we asked you to be on the podcast for the first time. When we oh, that's cute. The ZA Tech show. 
All right, here's me saying I was temporarily okay. So this is 2014. It's not that long ago. Um, I was Jeez, apparently we living with. We introduced each other to a lot of people. Yeah, Sorry, I mean, you're saying. <laughs> I'm currently living with my parents in Pretoria at the moment. It's lank regressive. <laughs> my God, that is so sad. Oh, my goodness. Oh, here we go. Uh, You asked me, where is Sam's man cave? I said, Sam has no man cave right now. She has her childhood room, still filled with late 90s, early 2000s memorabilia. Favorite find so far, a hip chain with dolphin charms on it and a KTV CD called (laughs) www.cool.hits. Perfect. That's so funny. Absolutely perfect. I have okay. found an email from you, which is basically just one smile emoji. <laughs> That's uh, it. Lots <laughs> of one-word emails. That is the bulk of, Sam, my, of my emails. What? I sent you an emoji of a VHS cassette <laughs> in 2013. <laughs> uh, to be honest. And you said, my, hmm. Yeah. And I said, with magical magic. <laughs> and Oh, we're talking about our podcast, sort of. Oh, okay. (laughs) That's so funny. (laughs) To be honest, I basically email like most people WhatsApp. I'm very like one word. K. K is a common email that I send. Yeah. Thankfully, I do not have my WhatsApp history. I've lost that a few times. No, that's for the best, really. All right, Sammy. On that note. Okay, Simon. Should this podcast be lost to the ether? (laughs) Either way, I'm calling it garbage. (laughs) Um, And like, I'm totally going to start just emailing you emojis randomly again. (laughs) I can't wait. I don't know why the fuck I used to do that. Forgot that I did. Definitely going to do it again. (laughs) Amazing. Um, I have before spoken about how much I love Bo Burnham's Inside, but I think one of my favorite songs from it is the song called Sexting, which is all about how sexting with emojis (laughs) can get really confusing. So (laughs) great. Yeah. In fact, I think that's one of the few pieces of the show you can watch for free on YouTube, if I remember correctly. Oh, that's great. Because Bo Burnham's on Netflix, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. So good. All right, Sammy. Bye, Simon. Love you. Goodbye. Love you. Bye.